one of the assistant pastors, along with Josh, and uh, I don't, I wasn't in here for the, uh, uh, all the introductory stuff. I don't know if he told you that uh, Scott, our senior pastor, has begun uh, sabbatical, and uh, you've probably gotten, if you're a member, you got uh, uh, a notice of that uh, letter uh, at the end of this week. But uh, so uh, the good ship SBRPC is in our two hands, our four hands, I guess it is. Uh, Lord help us. But uh, uh, I got to thinking about that, and actually between us, we've got almost 60 years of uh, ministerial experience. Maybe we can keep it, if not entirely upright, uh, listing only slightly to the port or starboard or whatever. Uh, but anyway, and uh, it's my turn in the pulpit for these several weeks. We have this summer preaching through several of the psalms, uh, psalms about a dozen of the psalms. And uh, Scott began by preaching on Psalm 1 and 2 as the introduction to uh, the Psalter. They those two psalms form something of an introductory chapter or something to the book of Psalms. Uh, we said last week, and we'll repeat, that uh, Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm which compares the wisdom of uh, obeying God and following God and loving God's word and, uh, and the folly of not, and as well as how that wisdom plays out and the folly plays out in the eternal destiny of those two groups of people. Psalm 2 is a royal psalm. Uh, it speaks of the king. And it's uh, of King David originally, but I guess, but, but uh, of the true king, the living and true king, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then uh, uh, the next psalm we, we looked at was Psalm 8, which is a psalm of praise and of worship. And then last week we looked at Psalm 16, which is a psalm of confidence. And this week we come to Psalm 22, which is uh, a lament. And uh, the Psalms of lament are the most uh, common in the Psalter. I count 55. There are zillions of ways of, of, of naming the genres of the Psalms. There are probably a dozen different lists that you find and counting them and ascribing them to whatever psalms, but I came up, I, I went through my Psalter, uh, my book of Psalms and in my Bible and, and wrote out where I thought they all were. I come up with 55 events, 34 of which are attributed to David, and this is one of them. Um, psalm 22 is, is yet another picture of David. We saw a picture of David last week in Psalm 16. David uh, was a man committed to and confident in his God. And we come to this week and we see that man, that, that confident uh, man, that uh, committed man, suffering abysmally. And that brings us to the 22nd Psalm, which is the Word of God. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, which was apparently a hymn tune to which it was to be sung, or a psalm tune to which it was to be sung, a psalm of David. 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him, and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship, 
Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. So far, this reading of God's word. Our God and Father, who has caused these words to be written, to be handed down and brought to us on this day that we might take comfort and strength and solace and hope. O Spirit of God, minister such strength and comfort and solace and hope among us this morning, within our hearts and our minds and our souls. For Jesus' sake, amen. This is a song, a lament. It's a psalm about suffering. David suffered. He suffered physically, he suffered emotionally, he suffered psychologically, and he suffered spiritually. And you can't really separate those things, can you? You can't, uh, you can't pick them apart and only suffer physically, only suffer spiritually. It's all of a piece. If we suffer in one area, it affects every other area, does it not? To some degree or the other. He felt forsaken by God, who was both silent and inactive toward him. Despite his crying out day and night, God didn't answer him. God seemed to be doing nothing. Despite God's delivering and rescuing of David's fathers, the fathers of Israel, They cried and were rescued. They trusted you and weren't put to shame. Why am I? Was David's cry. Why? Why? He felt utterly insignificant. Our our hymn of assurance. I hate what we did to it. We modernized it. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a sinner as I, which is plain vanilla language? And it's not at all what Watts wrote when he wrote that hymn. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? And we don't like that language. Because it speaks of insignificance. What's less significant than a worm crawling along the sidewalk? We don't like that. And we say it unnecessarily puts down those who admittedly are all sinners. David had no trouble with the language, I am a worm and not a man. Then, Willem Van Demmen is an Old Testament scholar and professor, and he's written, the significance of the worm is its insignificance. That's why I put it back in that old hymn, if it was mine to do. 
David cries, Lord, say something. Do something. But God didn't hear and God didn't do. And he feels like a worm. Not only was God silent and inactive, on the other hand, he was being tormented by men who weren't silent. They scorned, they despised, they mocked, they made mouths at him, they wagged their heads, they belittled him, they taunted him, and in taunting him, they taunted his God. He trusted in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. They mocked. They were behaving like wild beasts. They were like bulls ready to gore and trample him. Others were like lions waiting about to rip and tear his flesh. And others were like dogs. Now, wrong culture. We're not talking about Fido or Rex or Muffy, okay? There were no domesticated dogs that I'm aware of in in David's day. These are scavengers. These are are, are wild animals that that lived at the dump, eating what they could out of that, uh, eating the dead animals and everything was out there. Had they spread diseases among the animal world and themselves, and if they bit you, you were included in it. They were fierce, vicious creatures. Van Gemmeren again, the imagery of the dogs creates a picture of a powerless, righteous sufferer on the heap of ashes. And those, where's the heap of ashes? It's the ashes of the garbage burning into garbage stuff. It's a picture of Job, is it not? The dogs viciously attack him, gnawing at and, and biting into his feet and hands. And they were enjoying the spectacle. They were enjoying the show. They were enjoying David's misery. They stare and they gloat. And they distributed his clothes among them. That's a figurative way, a poetic way of saying he is close to death. He may as well be dead. And remember, this is all poetry. All poetic imagery. David's at the bottom. Lenny Bruce wrote a book before most of you were born. Uh, and he's not a character that you want to look up to at all. But been down so long it's beginning to look like up was the title of the book never read the book but I know the feeling we all have been there I guess and if not you will be but listen David persevered on he went on and he went on but you oh Lord do not be far off oh my help come quickly to my aid deliver my soul from the sword my precious life from the power of the dog save me from the mouth of the lion and there's one more line to that section and the most incredible thing happens 
And I don't know why they don't have the word but in there in large capital letters, but it doesn't appear. However, it's one of those moments. God responded. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild beast. God heard. God acted. And the next 10 verses, the last 10 verses of Psalm 22, record the results of that. David would testify in the congregation with both praise and performance, verses 22 to 25. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. And others would join in that praise. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. God's promise in Genesis 12, 3 is coming to fruition through David's experience. Now, here's what I wanted to say. I said all that to get to this. Two things for you to take away from this. Two words of encouragement from David's experience, from his suffering. Uh, one stolen directly from Gerald Wilson, another Old Testament scholar, because he said it a whole lot better than I could. He wrote, when our faith is undermined by our circumstances and we are tempted to despair altogether, sometimes our only remaining hope is to place ourselves within the worshiping community of God's people. Is that not why we're here this morning? And then he goes on. There he is praised, even if we are unable to praise him. There the mighty acts of God are proclaimed, even when we cannot see them. There God is present, even though he remains absent from our own experience. Is that not why we're here? We could be sitting at home. We could sing hymns and songs and spiritual songs. We could pray and read the Bible, preach to ourselves. But we need one another. I need to hear Jesus praise when I cannot praise him. When he's absent, when everything is dark. When I'm afraid, when I fear, when I hurt. I need to be with God's people. It, it's, it's along that line of thought the writer to the Hebrews followed and wrote, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And it ought to be translated, I believe, by not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day going. Just our being together, our coming together, the hugs, the tears, the laughs, the joy, everything that we experience as we come together as God's people. When we are in despair, when we cannot see God or hear God or know God and we doubt that He even exists, that is when we need to be with God's people. 
to hear them praise, to hear them speak, to watch them experience the presence of the living God in their midst. And then second, the point of the sermon, why I said everything I've said so far, again, in, in, in Gerald Wilson's words, I had written out something that one near as good, near, not near as succinct. He said, the call in the words and images of this song is for us to persevere in faithful reliance on God precisely when he seems most distant. Psalm 22 is a song calling us to persevere, to press on in the sorrow, in the fear, everything that's piled up on us that we can't get out from under, that we can't overcome. And God's word says, keep on. Keep on. And to that end, to that persevering, that keeping on, fast forward with me. A thousand years, give or take, from the time of David, to the first century A.D. To Jerusalem. Well, to just outside Jerusalem. To other forsaken, non-spirit-bearing hill. On which stand three crosses bearing three men dying well-deserved deaths. To the right and the left are two thieves. They're dying. Deserve deaths. They deserve the death for their persistent transgressions of the law of Rome. Between them is a man Dying an equally deserved death as a consequence of the persistent transgression of God's law. But he's not the transgressor. He's not the guilty one. You are. And I am. And we are. And the whole world of sons and daughters of Adam and Eve fallen into sin and not one, not one keeping God's law, obeying his commandments, being his people wholeheartedly and consistently and all the time. He was the perfect, innocent, righteous man dying in the place of those who aren't. Coming closer. closer. It's an ugly thing, the cross. We, we beautify it too much. It's ugly. And we don't want to go near it. But you draw nearer. You come closer. Close enough to hear the groans. 
prayers, whatever. And listen. Listen to the man on the middle cross. The world's only perfect man. Listen. As he says from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those opening words of David's song of suffering and misery become the Savior's cry of dereliction from the cross. Inexplicable words of separation within the Godhead. Luther read them and looked at them and prayed about them and dealt with them and wrestled with them and finally said, God? Forsaken by God? Who can understand that? We can't. The Father, whose eyes are too pure to look upon sin, averts them from that man on the cross. Because he has made him to be sin. He is sin. He's bearing your sin and my sin. This one who knew no sin. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my, your, our place, condemned, he stood. Somebody's pointed out that there are eight distinct statements in Psalm 22, specifically fulfilled in the crucifixion. Look now at the last words of Psalm 22, the last four words on the last line. David ends his song. He has done it. Those words fresh in your mind, echoing, echoing. Come again to the cross and listen again to the man hanging there on the middle cross. As he says, one single word, the greatest word ever spoken in the history of mankind. Tetelestai, which means absolutely nothing to you or to me, until we translate it, in which case it becomes three words and they are the three most important words ever spoken in the world. It is finished. It's finished. It's finished. I mean, no matter what else you say, no matter what you bring up, Jesus' words are there. It's finished. But Lord, I'm, it's finished. But Lord, I, it's finished. The suffering of Jesus is done. The sacrifice for sin is made. Salvation is won. Redemption is accomplished. The debt is paid. God is reconciled. It goes on and on and on. It is finished. 
for every man, woman, boy, and girl that rests in him. We who trust in him are at peace with God. What's left? There's nothing left to do but to continue to rest, persevere in him who was forsaken of God on the cross that no one who rests in him might ever be. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. You know the next line. You know the next words. Say them with me. Hallelujah. What a Savior.